There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022, the 574th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can sign up for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode. And you'll also get all the writing as soon as I release it. Got a bunch of cool things coming up. Bunch of great interviews. Going to do some readings of the prior writing. And I think you guys will really dig the guests. I'm very happy with how much people have been enjoying the recent interviews of Sasha Stone and Richard Barris. So I've got a few more on the way, but let's get into it. Liz Cheney's political career is over. There are apparently still some final votes to count, but they're upwards of 99%. And Liz Cheney has lost by almost 40 points. 
She's down over 38%. And the meltdown has begun. And looking at the massive margin there, you would have to think that either they just scaled back on the cheating knowing that it wasn't going to work at all, or maybe they just have conceded that race. There was no chance. No one was going to believe it. There's a 63,000 vote difference between Hageman and Cheney with fewer than 160,000 votes cast. They would have had to have 30 or 40 percent more total votes just to be able to make up that difference, even with a pretty substantial cheating system in place. They had up to 15,000 Democrats switch parties to Republicans so that they could vote for Cheney in the primary. And it still didn't work. The actual results without that would have been even worse, probably upwards or near a 50% defeat. So while the media has spent the last year making Liz Cheney a superstar, the next leader of the Republican Party, the only person brave enough to stand up to Donald Trump and the MAGA movement, turns out no one is buying that anywhere. If you're not addicted to the central narrative, if you don't spend your time watching MSNBC and CNN and to some degree Fox, if you're not reading the New York Times and the Washington Post and the L.A. Times and the Atlantic, there's a good chance you're celebrating today because it's not just MAGA Republicans that don't like Liz Cheney. It used to be everybody, pretty much everybody that didn't like the Cheneys because most of the people I used to know in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, the ones who are all supporting Liz Cheney now. Well, they all used to call her dad a war criminal. And now what? They watch him do political ads for his daughter, Liz. And that's supposed to convince everybody that Liz is actually the good one. I mean, there are people who could make adequate arguments that Dick Cheney is responsible for an incredible number of deaths of innocent people around the world. Until the last couple of years, you could have argued the most in the last two decades for sure. And you could probably go well beyond that. And now, of course, that title goes to Anthony Fauci. But these people hated Dick Cheney. There was no reason for them to like Liz Cheney at all until January 6th. And then everything became all about the very violent insurrection. And Liz Cheney was going to be the one person with the courage to stand up to all the no-no people and to switch sides and punish all the no-no people because that's what had to happen. That was the next phase of the hate movement. Now it's not just people who do bad things. It's everybody that we can describe being like those people that do bad things. And Liz Cheney was a leading figure in that hate movement. Everybody on the MAGA side is stupid and racist and violent. They're all uneducated. They don't care about our democracy. They're all conspiracy theorists. They're going to infect everybody's mind while infecting them with the very deadly pandemic because they won't wear their masks and they won't get the vaccine. And Liz Cheney followed directly in her father's footsteps. She represented Wyoming 
as their one member of the House of Representatives. But she didn't live in Wyoming. She didn't even live in Wyoming before she became the representative. She lived in Virginia. Liz Cheney has made $36 million in the six years she's been in Congress. How does that work? Really, how does that work? The salary for a member of Congress is $174,000 a year. Now, that is way too much. But aside from that, after six years, that would add up to $1,044,000. So where did the other $35 million come from? Now, I know people have businesses, they have investments. I'm sure she was extremely successful being Dick Cheney's daughter before she got into Congress. Her net worth was $7 million. Well, now it's around $50 million. And who knows how much money is hiding somewhere. Money has a tendency to do that, especially when someone is a politician or in a position of power. And having too much money might look a little strange. So the money wanting to help out its owner, just working on its owner's behalf, the money goes and hides away and then no one can ever find it. The money's job is to find the best possible hiding place so that no one will ever realize all that money's coming in. Now, $7 million is already a real good chunk of cash. I would love to have $7 million. But hey, my father was not a war criminal. I don't know how that pays, and I don't know how much of that I would have received. And I also don't generally employ nepotism to improve my life, at least certainly not since leaving Los Angeles. But Liz Cheney does. Sometimes people call that privilege, but not for Liz Cheney, because Liz Cheney supports the teaching of critical race theory which means she is erasing her own privilege with her advocacy and her complaints about other people's privilege. Now, I think it's great when people get rich doing something good and creative if they work hard and follow through and provide something that a lot of people need or otherwise value. Then if they get rich, that's absolutely wonderful. If they're able to pass that down to the generations beneath them, Fantastic. That is what everybody's goal used to be in all of life. That was literally the American dream is to pass down a better life to your progeny than you had yourself when you were growing up. You get a bunch of money, you make sure your kids have a good life, and then you leave them something so that they can make sure that their kids have a good life and you just keep going on down. But that's not quite the same as when your dad is a corrupt warmonger and globalist whose administration began never-ending wars and then basically turned the United States into a surveillance state against its own people with the Patriot Act. Naturally, if you're that guy, you're owed a lot of favors, and you can pass those favors on to your family members as well. It's not quite the same as working and creating something and providing value, at least to society. Surely you're providing value for someone. It's just that all those people already have tons and tons of money and power. Just doesn't quite have the same vibe. You know what I mean? Now, one would think that after making $36 million in six years, 
by working against the needs of the people you're supposed to be representing would be a nice enough haul to just go away and stop with your life of corruption and evil. Just go live somewhere in the countryside and have people helicopter things into you. Go for a nice walk through the forest. Learn snowshoeing or crochet. Drink the finest wines. Have the world's greatest chefs prepare you dinner each night in your home. You could do that with $36 million. Liz Cheney could have gone out last night and said, I'm going to spend more time with my family. But she didn't. Her family, of course, includes her husband, who is a partner at the law firm that now currently represents the fake president's son, Hunter Biden. So maybe he's just too busy dealing with Hunter Biden's degeneracy and corruption and criminality while being a bag man for the fake president, his father, and closing corrupt deals all around the world where he sells his father's political power for a whole bunch of money to our greatest adversaries. And it's amazing, isn't it, how closely interconnected all of these corrupt globalist communist families are. And Liz Cheney is a communist, and so is Dick Cheney for that matter. You cannot be a person who supports the globalist agenda that moves toward a one world global government without being a communist. Because communism is the only potential result of a one world global government. You can't have national sovereignty in a one world global government. In fact, you go far enough down the line and there aren't even nations anymore. And you certainly can't have individual sovereignty under a one world global government because the societies of the world are not the same, but they must be made the same. They must have the same rules applied to all of them. Because that's what one world global government means. And sure, for a while, they would still leave national borders in place. They would just move people back and forth across them at will. And eventually the borders don't make any sense. There's no culture in any individual place. All the cultures are eventually going to be the same. That's part of the goal as well. So the borders become meaningless. And once the borders are meaningless, there's no reason for any American politician to look out first and foremost for the interest of Americans. We can already see that taking place. Once you're not looking out for the interests of Americans, then all people have the same value. And by the way, all humans do have the same inherent value. That's not the issue whatsoever. But once your stuff is everybody else's stuff, too, and everybody deserves the same amount of stuff, what system are you in? They're already working in coordination with all of the transnational corporations around the world. They're going to decide what you need, and then they will provide it for you at the minimum possible level with the most, quote unquote, efficient systems. You'll have everything delivered by Amazon or Walmart. But the stuff won't even be yours. Remember, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So who decides what you get? Well, the one world global government will decide what you get and who gives it to you and what your range of options is. The state is already in control of the corporations. The state's already in control of the means of information. 
And your only role will be to continue to support that global state. And if you don't, I mean, they can track you social credit score. They'll have your digital central bank currency that they can turn on and turn off depending on your behavior. They'll be able to score what it is you eat, what it is you buy, who you talk to, what the content of your messages, your text messages are, your phone calls, the websites you visit. The only freedom you'll have, the only control you'll have over your own decisions will be within the range of things you're allowed to do according to the state, which is dependent on how much you serve the state, how much you comply and obey. That is the path we're on. That is the path Liz Cheney supports. That is the path her father, Dick Cheney, helped accelerate us down while he was vice president. You can't support the agenda of the one world global government without being a communist. That's the thing that makes you a communist. It doesn't matter if you like being rich, too. Plenty of communists like being rich. The communists at the top of the food chain are always rich. They're not interested in equality for everybody. They're interested in equality for all of the people who are not like them which means they don't get that much stuff, but also they're the good people for saving, quote unquote, the poor people, which is a strange priority to profess while you are incentivizing poor people in the real world right now to kill themselves more quickly. What do you think all the vaccine advertisements were and all the vaccine incentives and the fact that everyone who works in a job that makes you an essential worker had a vaccine mandate. Who do you think the metaverse is for? It's not for Leonardo DiCaprio. He's not trying to escape his life. Although who knows, in a few months he might be. But you don't get to support the global one world agenda and not be a communist. That's not possible. Doesn't matter if you like money. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican. Everybody likes money. Everybody can claim they're a Republican. It's about what you actually support and what you stand for. Liz Cheney has proven that she doesn't care about the United States of America. She doesn't care about the United States of America and its constitution. Her number one priority is defeating the man that the majority of the American people want as their president and voted for as their president in 2020. The fact that they pretend not to support the agenda they actually support while pretending to defend a country they're trying to destroy says a lot more about their political priorities than the letter next to their name and the fact that their name is in red on the election results. But when all of your prominence and all your power and all your status exists only in the false reality, it's kind of hard to leave, even when you're rejected by basically everyone. And Liz Cheney is having a very difficult time. Here's her concession speech. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. But it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election it would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would not take. 
So she won the last primary with 73% of the vote when the Cheney political machine was all that mattered in Wyoming. And she could have done it again if she just went on the side of Donald Trump. You got that? If she had just repeated the election lies, if she didn't care so much about the sanctity of our democracy, that she was willing to fight against the very violent insurrection. If she had sunk to those levels, maybe she could have won again with 73% of the vote. Everybody loves Liz Cheney. That's the point. All she had to do was go along with Donald Trump and all the people in Wyoming who support Donald Trump. So what she's saying is that for her to have won again, she would have had to be the person the people electing her wanted her to be. So she would have had to do her job. But that's not how Liz Cheney sees her job. She's not there as a representative of the people. She's not there to represent the people's interests. No, she's there to, quote unquote, lead. You got that? She's an independent person. She's a strong woman with her own ideas. She's a maverick, just like someone we won't bother naming. You see, the importance of Liz Cheney in the House of Representatives is that somebody has to be there to go against the will of the people in Wyoming. Don't you understand? The people in Wyoming all basically support Donald Trump. She had to get 15,000 Democrats onto her side just to make it look close. And by close, I mean 40 points. But all those people of Wyoming, they're part of the problem. Her job is to represent the interests of the global communists to the people of Wyoming. That's what it means to be a leader. Understand, hey, I know the best path. It happens to be the path that all of the rest of the corrupt Democrats and Republicans want. And it's terrible for all of you, but this is the best path. And you know what? You elected me as the leader of Wyoming, so I'm going to take you down that path, whether you want to go down it or not, especially if you don't want to go down it, because if you did want to go down it, then it wouldn't even be necessary for me, Liz Cheney, to be doing this job that I clearly hate so much. She is straight up admitting she has no interest in representing the will of the citizens of Wyoming. And she's blaming it on them for being too stupid to know what's good for them. It's hard to see why she lost. No, no house seat, no office in this land is more important than the principles that we are all sworn to protect. And I well understood the potential political consequences of abiding by my duty. Our Republic relies upon the goodwill of all candidates for office to accept honorably the outcome of elections. It's no one's duty to accept the outcome of fraudulent elections. Yes, you have to accept the outcome of the election that you lost by 40 points when you're only speaking in front of 35 people at your concession speech because no one anywhere wanted to vote for you. So yeah, you do have to accept that result. But when you have the majority of the country on your side 
And the election was obviously and overwhelmingly a product of fraud and no one anywhere really believes it and no one's allowed to look. You actually don't have to accept that. That's not the big lie. The big lie is that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and that January 6th, 2021 was a very deadly insurrection. Those are the big lies, and Liz Cheney is out on television every night pushing them. And even after this utter humiliation, she still will be doing that. Maybe she and Adam Kinzinger can start a morning show. And tonight, Harriet Hegeman has received the most votes in this primary. She won. I called her to concede the race. This primary election is over. But now... The real work begins. Hey, Liz, you just served in Congress for six years, admittedly not serving the will of the people of Wyoming. Why didn't the real work begin six years ago? And why do politicians always say this? Like, yes, you have such a bright and blossoming future. What real work are you going to do? You're going to keep going on television and pretending to get the whole country on your side. You're going to keep taking advantage of friendly media as they try to make something out of nothing. Don Lemon is just going to polish the Liz Cheney turd until it shines. What is the real work, Liz Cheney? It has been said that the long arc of history bends toward justice and freedom. That's true but only if we make it bend. Today, our highest duty is to bend the arc of history, to preserve our nation and its blessings, to ensure that freedom will not perish, to protect the very foundations of this constitutional republic. Is she quoting Martin Luther King or is she quoting Barack Hussein Obama quoting Martin Luther King? Liz Cheney's just going to grab that arc of history with her meaty paws and slam it closed, bend each end in on itself and turn it into a perfect circle. So finally, the global communist order is made whole. Is that what she's going to do? She's going to preserve our freedom while she parades around on the January 6th committee, totally mindless of the fact that people have been held in prison cells for a year and a half without trial. Never in our nation's 246 years have we seen what we saw on January 6th. We literally saw the May 19th communist organization plant a bomb in the Capitol. And now the woman responsible for that is on the executive board of Black Lives Matter's fiscal sponsor, Liz. What do you mean? Also, there was another incident kind of like January 6th, and that was the FBI staged and run plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She is only repeating the slogans inside the false reality. The only people who will ever care about this speech are trapped in the false reality, and they actually think that the things she's saying make sense. How honest, how brave. Like so many Americans, I assumed that the violence and the chaos of that day would have prompted a united response, a recognition that this was a line that must never be crossed, a tragic chapter in our nation's history to be studied by historians 
to ensure that it can never happen again. But instead, major elements of my party still vehemently defend those who caused it. So I ask you tonight to join me. As we leave here, let us resolve that we will stand together, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents, against those who would destroy our Republic. They are angry and they are determined, but they have not seen anything like the power of Americans united in defense of our Constitution and committed to the cause of freedom. There is no greater power on this earth. And with God's help, we will prevail. Thank you all. God bless you. God bless Wyoming. God bless the United States of America. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Tell me that crowd is more than 35 people. It's not. You can watch the speech. They zoom back across the crowd. Maybe it's 45. Maybe it's 50. But that's my final offer. And hey, Liz, the reason that major elements of your party, which are the only elements still really remaining in your party, is because everyone can see the underlying story that you're pushing is a lie from beginning to end. No one is going to support that, especially while you're using the totality of that lie to oppress your political opposition, including all of the citizens who support your political opposition. But none of that is the craziest part of Liz Cheney's speech. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed he saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. As we meet here tonight, that remains our greatest and most important task. Liz Cheney is comparing her political loss to political losses suffered by Abraham Lincoln. And then she begins reading the Gettysburg Address, the part about how we cannot let those people die in vain. Hey, Liz, who are you protecting? Who died in service of your cause? Are you talking about the January 6th insurrection? Well, one of the police officers, Brian Sicknick, died of a stroke the next day, even though all of your friends said that he was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. And then there was a spate of suicides within the Capitol Hill police. But those were unexplained. We were told the men were just suffering post-traumatic stress. That's what caused them to kill themselves. They were just so horrified by January 6th and the very violent insurrection that they felt they couldn't go on. That's definitely what happened. That is definitely how multiple Capitol Police officers committed suicide in the next few months. Who is she imagining might have died in vain if Liz Cheney won't continue her path? But let's stick with the Civil War. Because Liz Cheney wanted to. 
Our duty as citizens of this republic is not only to defend the freedom that's been handed down to us. We also have an obligation to learn from the actions of those who came before, to know the stories of grit and perseverance of the brave men and women who built and saved this union. In the lives of these great Americans, we find inspiration and purpose. In May of 1864, after years of war and a string of reluctant Union generals, Ulysses S. Grant met General Lee's forces at the Battle of the Wilderness. In two days of heavy fighting, the Union suffered over 17,000 casualties. At the end of that battle, General Grant faced a choice. Most assumed he would do what previous Union generals had, had done and retreat. On the evening of May 7th, Grant began to move. As the fires of the battle still smoldered, Grant rode to the head of the column. He rode to the intersection of Brock Road and Orange Plank Road. And there, as the men of his army watched and waited, instead of turning north back towards Washington and safety, Grant turned his horse south toward Richmond and the heart of Lee's army. Refusing to retreat, he pressed on to victory. Lincoln and Grant and all who fought in our nation's tragic civil war, including my own great-great-grandfathers, saved our union. Their courage saved freedom. And if we listen closely, they are speaking to us down the generations. We must not idly squander what so many have fought and died for. So what is up with Liz Cheney hearkening back to the Civil War? Lincoln lost a couple of times and then he became president. Liz Cheney has now lost embarrassingly, humiliatingly, even at the height of her public persona. Her status will never be higher than it has been over these past few months. She had the entirety of the mainstream media pushing her into the spotlight and saying, hey, America, please take Liz. But the people are having none of it. Still, she thinks that she has a chance to be president in 2024. She's going to be the great white hope of the Republican Party. She's going to push the party back to normalcy and seriousness and civility. You know, all those things that make them such effective Washington generals to the Harlem Globetrotters actually setting the pace of play in the Democrat Communist Party. They're all serving the same masters, though, so it's just fine. And from the perspective of the global communists, could there be a better choice than Liz Cheney? Dick Cheney is already a high-ranking official in the global communist party. The American people actively detest Joe Biden and the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party is about to be destroyed. And if things keep going this way, there's absolutely no way anyone would believe the Democrats could win in 2024. So what could be better than having a perfectly controllable Republican in there? Someone who's going to be the centrist candidate that brings both sides together. A candidate who gives the country something to unite around. Liz Cheney could be just perfect at that. I mean, she's a woman, too, so you might even get some really, really stupid feminists. And yes, you can say that's redundant. And I would say you have a point. But in terms of the public narrative, I guess it still matters. But it's odd that she's reimagining the Civil War, especially with the mainstream media consistently talking about the threat of civil war unless they destroy all of MAGA. 
MAGA, you see, is what presents the threat of civil war. It's not the people trying to take over the entire country against the American people. It's not those people who are actively trying to make the American people their enemy and oppress them. No, it's not their fault at all. It's the fault of the people being oppressed, as it always is, when you're writing history from the side of the winners. And call me crazy, but I do see a narrative emerging here. These people are running out of options, and that should be absolutely obvious. We'll see how well they do in November in terms of their ability to cheat and steal elections. Hopefully, all of that will be wiped away before the November midterms even come around. That is still possible. A full public understanding of election fraud will make that possible. And after that, what options are remaining? Are they just going to sit idly by while MAGA Republicans launch investigations into their behavior and expose it before the American public? Is that what's going to happen? How many more things can they try? They're pushing a nuclear disaster somewhere in the world, potentially even in the United States. We get public service announcements in New York City about what to do if a nuclear bomb goes off. Oh, by the way, I wouldn't want to leave you out of this understanding. What to do is go inside, stay inside and watch media. That was really the advice. Stay inside and look at the television. But there aren't many options left beyond the nuclear thing. All they can really do is start a war on American soil. And if that war has to be America versus America, all the better, because then our very legitimate government could call in for help from the U.N. or call in for help from some of our global allies who we've helped so much in Ukraine. But short of state violence against the American citizenry, what other chance do they have? The country sees through all of this now. The mainstream media is failing more every day. No one is going to believe any of their stories anymore. Even the very violent insurrection committee has failed. And so what do they want? Seems like they want a civil war that they can blame on MAGA supporters so they can further oppress MAGA supporters. And then from those ashes, a hero like Liz Cheney will arise. Just think of her qualifications. She comes from a warmongering family, and you really want to have that kind of war leader when fighting against your friends and neighbors. She's willing to torture American citizens in service of her political goals. That's exactly what she's doing with the January 6th committee. She's willing to totally abuse the rule of law and go right around it. She seems to have no problem whatsoever with the propaganda state media or the censorship that prevents anyone in America from actually learning how much Liz Cheney is lying. She would be basically the perfect candidate to lead America through our civil war and join the global community as we reaffirm our values like freedom and multiculturalism and critical race theory and equity. And as you might expect, Donald Trump responded to all of this with a series of truth social posts. 
Congratulations to Harriet Hageman on her great and decisive win in Wyoming. This is a wonderful result for America and a complete rebuke of the unselect committee of political hacks and thugs. Liz Cheney should be ashamed of herself the way she acted and her spiteful, sanctimonious words and actions toward others. Now she can finally disappear into the depths of political oblivion where, I am sure, she will be much happier than she is right now. Thank you, Wyoming. He goes on. Liz Cheney's uninspiring concession speech in front of a tiny crowd in the great state of Wyoming focused on her belief that the 2020 presidential election was not, despite massive and conclusive evidence to the contrary, rigged and stolen. It was, and that's not even counting the fact that many election changes in numerous states were not approved by state legislatures, an absolute must. Liz Cheney is a fool who played right into the hands of those who want to destroy our country. And the third in a series of posts last night. I assume that with the very big Liz Cheney loss, far bigger than had ever been anticipated, the January 6th Committee of Political Hacks and Thugs will quickly begin the beautiful process of dissolution. This was a referendum on the never-ending witch hunt. The people have spoken. And as he often is, Donald Trump is exactly right. That is what the tenor of the country is now. There is no more GOP establishment. Yes, they exist, but their power is dwindling to almost nothing. They stole some primary elections, Georgia, Wisconsin, Washington State, because they had people that were owed for their participation in 2020, like Robin Voss. Brad Raffensperger, Brian Kemp. But if those people make it back into office, they will be watched like hawks. They will be the next to have their political careers ended by MAGA because no one is going to forget these rhinos. And once the election fraud system is fully exposed, no one's going to believe they actually won anything. There's still a lot to develop, and I know that I am way out on the wings on this one, but I still believe there's a chance that if election fraud is proven broadly enough and accepted by enough of the population, as I have always expected it to be, if that happens before the midterms, why can't some of these primaries be overturned? Those results are still emanating from the same system of fraud. Once that fraud is known, the fraud will be expected. The fraud will be easily seen as we can see it now while it's happening. Once the country knows that the elections are stolen, is anybody going to want to go and vote for candidates who won primaries with the election fraud apparatus in place? The only candidates who would be able to avoid that fate are the ones who won their primaries on the backs of of MAGA support and with the endorsement of Donald Trump. So the media is melting down as one might expect. They have put a lot of work into Liz Cheney. This is embarrassing for them, just like it's embarrassing for Liz Cheney. They've been propping her up for months, allowing people like her and like Adam Kinzinger to have the little R next to their name while they say all the things that the Democrats say about the big lie, about the very violent insurrection. This is CNN this morning. How Liz Cheney lost Wyoming's lone seat in the House. 
Representative Liz Cheney's supporters, all four of them, say her reelection hopes were doomed on January 13th, 2021, when a week after the insurrection at the Capitol, she and nine other House Republicans voted to impeach former President Donald Trump. Oh, so her 18 supporters are smart enough to understand that? That's actually kind of reassuring. Everything since that day, Cheney's role on the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection, her ads featuring her father, former Vice President Dick Cheney eviscerating Trump, her speeches attempting to steer the GOP away from Trump's influence, only served Harriet Hegeman's victory in Wyoming's primary for its lone House seat on Tuesday. Cheney's ouster caps a summer in which Trump has purged the GOP of many of his critics while elevating candidates, including Hageman, who have parroted his lies about widespread election fraud. Trump aligned candidates have won primaries for governor in swing states such as Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Senate in Georgia, Ohio and Pennsylvania. Candidates backed by the former president have positioned themselves to take over the election machinery in a series of key states if they win in November. Oh, no. Primaries in recent months have also brought into focus the role a handful of prominent Republicans, including Cheney and former Vice President Mike Pence, are seeking to play in moving the GOP beyond Trump and his election denialism. But Wyoming's results on Tuesday demonstrated the long odds those Trump critics face in a party in which the former president remains the most dominant figure and is teasing a third run for the White House in 2024. Cheney attempted to assemble a coalition of Democrats, independents and moderate and anti-Trump Republicans, many of them ideological opponents of the neoconservative congresswoman before the last 19 months to save her seat. So it's all about Trump all the time. Anybody who hates Trump should go with Liz Cheney. None of the citizens of Wyoming thought that was a good idea. But hey, she's just doing her job. Her campaign sent information to registered Democrats in Wyoming about how to change their party registration. And in interviews across the state in the lead up to the election, a number of Democrats did say they were voting for Cheney. Now, a lot of the funding for that part of her campaign, that outreach to Democrats, was paid for by out-of-state Democrats. Rich people in California were sending their money to Wyoming so that Liz Cheney could use it to propagandize Wyoming voters enough to at least give the impression that she would have some chance to win. But nope. And how must these Democrats feel having switched parties? and made themselves Republicans just for the chance that they could get what they want and make sure that actual Republicans couldn't get the candidate they want. And then they failed. How do they feel this morning? Well, hopefully the way they deserve to feel. But the Cowboy State's electorate is almost entirely Republican. Wyoming has more than 215,000 registered Republicans compared to just 36,000 registered Democrats, according to data from the Secretary of State's office. So that means there's no way she could have gotten that extra 63,000 votes. Even if they turned the cheating machine on full blast, no one could have ever believed it because there are only about 250,000 registered voters in Wyoming. 
That's a drop of about 15,000 registered Democrats from early 2021. But the pool of party switchers, along with a fall off of more than 3,000 independent voters who likely became Republicans, was nowhere near large enough to save Cheney from defeat in a Republican party that had turned against her. So 15,000 Democrats switching parties. Think about how many states we were told were decided by less than 15,000 in the presidential election of 2020. That's how many voters the Democrats attempted to drum up from the Democrat Party in Wyoming in order to secure Liz Cheney's primary win. And it didn't even come close to working. Not even close. And I'll jump down to the end of this article, the section titled What's Next? This is like a 2,500 word long article. CNN is so ridiculous with this stuff. They want to make sure they get in every single slogan and narrative, reinforce the entire thing, make the child brains in their audience feel like they're still empowered and that Liz Cheney really was the right move. So what's next? She did not answer that question Tuesday night at her election night event on a ranch in Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole is one of the wealthiest places in the country. It's like a mountain resort retreat land. And, and it's beautiful, by the way. But she went to a ranch in Jackson Hole to give her post campaign event. That's where the 35 to 50 people arrived. I wonder how much that that ranch property is worth. I wonder how that plays with all the Wyoming voters who just sent her packing forever. But overnight, her campaign filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission, creating a leadership pack to be called the Great Task. A nod to Abraham Lincoln, who spoke at Gettysburg of the great task facing the country. And on Wednesday morning, she told NBC's Today Show that she is thinking about running for president and will make a decision in the coming months. I'm surprised she didn't actually just call her political action committee the Lincoln Project. That would have been a perfect name. And you have to assume that all of the Lincoln Project guys are going to join her anyway. It's moments like these when all the communists are slurping Lincoln so hard that you begin to wonder if maybe the public impression that we've been given, the central narrative, the official story of Abraham Lincoln might have a few cracks in it. What legacy of Lincoln are these people pretending to move forward? And I want to end our little Liz Cheney in memoriam section with my favorite part of her speech. It's the part where she inadvertently says exactly what happened, but only as it is in the false reality where she assumes that everyone understands they pulled the old switcheroo. And so now you believe the exact opposite thing. It's kind of amazing. And I imagine that CNN and other networks will be showing it to their audiences of child brains. And it tells the story so succinctly that the child brains might be convinced they've been wrong the whole time just by listening to Liz Cheney. It's kind of magical. Here it is. To believe Donald Trump's election lies, you must believe that dozens of federal and state courts who ruled against him, including many judges he appointed, were all corrupted and biased. That all manner of crazy conspiracy theories stole our election from us and that Donald Trump actually remains president today. 
As of last week, you must also believe that 30 career FBI agents who have spent their lives working to serve our country, abandoned their honor and their oaths, and went to Mar-a-Lago not to perform a lawful search or address a national security threat, but instead with a secret plan to plant fake incriminating documents in the boxes they seized. This is yet another insidious lie. Yes, people would have to believe all of that because all of that is true and it's provably true. I mean, the part about planting evidence, not quite provably true yet, but we're, I mean, honestly, we're a few days away from that for sure being what happened. Eric Trump said the other night on Fox News that they have all the security footage of the FBI raid. They kept the security cameras on at Mar-a-Lago. And he said all of that will be released at the right time. So if they planted something, I imagine it's on that tape. But let's leave that part aside. Yes, we do believe that the judges who threw out election fraud cases on procedural grounds did so because they're corrupt. We also believe that politicians all around the country who certified that fraudulent election are corrupt. We believe that election workers hired by Stacey Abrams are corrupt. We believe the voting machine companies are corrupt. That's because we can prove all of them are corrupt. It's actually not even hard to prove. Now, the amount of coping going on for uniparty communists and the child brains attached to the central narrative today has been incredible just over the Liz Cheney thing. But you got to understand, this is following on just finding out last week that COVID is over and they didn't even really get to say goodbye. This is from The Atlantic today. The pandemic's soft closing. A quick skim of the CDC's latest COVID guidelines might give the impression that this fall could feel a lot like the ones we had in the before times. Millions of Americans will be working in person at offices and schools and universities will be back in full swing. There will be few or no masking, testing or vaccination mandates in place. Sniffles or viral exposures won't be reason enough to keep employees or students at home and requirements for six feet will mostly be relegated to the Tinder profiles of those seeking trysts with the tall. Oh, how clever. Oh, the only six foot restriction is going to be women looking for men over six feet. Do you get it? Do you get it? The Atlantic readers all have Tinder as one of their basic points of reference. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand how clever and funny that is. Americans have been given the all clear to dispense with most of the pandemic centric behaviors that have defined the past two plus years, part and parcel of the narrative the Biden administration is building around the triumphant return to normalcy says Josh Solomon, a health policy researcher at Stanford. So that's the Biden administration's plan, a triumphant return to normalcy, but also a, uh, a monkeypox national emergency. And by the way, a planned extension of the COVID national emergency that is due to expire on October 13th. We are still under a national emergency for COVID even though all of the CDC guidances are gone. 
Where is the emergency? There is no emergency. They just want to hold on to undue power and authority and sources of funding. Where mitigation measures once moved in near lockstep with case numbers, hospitalizations and deaths, they're now on separate tracks. First of all, that wasn't true. The pandemic mitigation measures were all bullshit in the first place, and they didn't drop off with case numbers and then go back up. They tried to explain scenarios where that would be possible. They made people feel like that was happening. They tried it a little bit in places like California, but that wasn't true for any of the rest of the country. They act like pandemic restrictions just have some volume knob and you can turn them up and turn them down when the cases rise and fall and the people will just go along with it. That's not true at all. But let's continue. The focus with COVID is more explicitly than ever before on avoiding only severe illness and death. Whereas before we wanted to avoid all illness and all death and anything that could potentially be seen as leading to illness, no matter how indirectly, so that we could make everybody feel like a sick person, even though almost everybody was completely and totally healthy. The country seems close to declaring the national public health emergency done, except they're not. They're extending it. That news came out yesterday. And short of that proclamation, officials are already effectively acting as though it's over, says Lakshmi Ganapathy, a pediatric infectious disease specialist at Boston Children's Hospital. If there's such a thing as a soft closing of the covid crisis, this latest juncture might be it. The shift in guidelines underscores how settled the country is into the current state of affairs. This new relaxation of COVID rules is one of the most substantial to date, but it wasn't spurred by a change in conditions on the ground. A slew of Omicron subvariants are still burning across most states. COVID deaths have for months remained at a stubborn, too high plateau. The virus won't budge, <laughs> nor will Americans. So the administration is shifting its stance instead. No longer will people be required to quarantine after encountering the infected, even if they haven't gotten the recommended number of shots. Schools and workplaces will no longer need to screen healthy students and employees. And guidance around physical distancing is now a footnote at best. That's horrifying. All of this is happening as the northern hemisphere barrels toward fall, a time when students cluster in classrooms. Families mingle indoors and respiratory viruses go hog wild. Hey, communist, the rest of the country has been living totally normally for like a year and a half. Unreal. These people are insane. I say that they exist in a false reality. This is what I mean. Everything else going on in the country says all of this stuff is over and this communist is still whining believing that we exist in a stage that happened two years ago where people actually believed in all this stuff. But she goes on about the horrors of the pending fall. The monkeypox outbreak balloons and the healthcare system remains strained. The healthcare system isn't strained. There was no time ever where patients were triaged for COVID care. The healthcare system strains where they exist in terms of staffing and whatever 
are partially a result of the COVID policies. Healthcare systems aren't at the verge of breaking from COVID and monkeypox. How is a monkeypox outbreak going to balloon if all you have to do to avoid monkeypox is not have gay sex? Except, turns out, now we have cases of children with monkeypox, of dogs with monkeypox. Soon everyone will be able to get monkeypox, and it's probably going to only occur in the vaccinated somehow. The main COVID guardrail left is a request for people to stay up to date on their vaccines, which most in the U.S. are not. You know, those bad people that just don't care about everybody else and they're just not getting vaccinated. And even some of the people who did get vaccinated to prove how much they cared about everybody else, they're not getting vaccinated anymore either. They're not up to date on their subscriptions like I am. They're not following the rules. They must be destroyed. Most kids under five who have opted for the Pfizer vaccine won't even have had enough time to finish their three-dose primary series by the time the school year starts. Now, wait a second. There's not a kid in the world who opted for that vaccine. Their parents did that. If the kid was happy about getting it, that's still a result of their parents brainwashing them. We should be seeing those cases as child abuse. Not an unfortunate circumstance where these kids are somehow going to be vulnerable to COVID at school. In this entire time, we still do not have the death of a healthy child from COVID. Kids have died with positive tests of COVID while dying from something else. That has happened, and those kids are included in the COVID statistics. But we don't have any proof there's a healthy child anywhere who has died from just COVID. In an email, Jasmine Reed, a public affairs specialist for the CDC, suggested the Pfizer timing mismatch wasn't a concern because, quote, a very high proportion of children have some level of protection from previous infection or vaccination, end quote, even though infection alone isn't as powerfully protective as vaccination. That is exactly the opposite of what the science and the data says. Natural immunity from infection is far stronger than vaccination immunity. Also, these aren't vaccines. Also, it's just an experimental gene therapy. Also, the cases of COVID are occurring primarily in the vaccinated. And also, the vaccinated are dying of random mysterious causes in people who are fully healthy and at a relatively young age. This is madness. It's like they're throwing their hands up in the air and waving them like they just don't care, said Rupali LeMay, a public health researcher and behavioral scientist at Johns Hopkins University. People aren't going to follow the guidance, so let's just loosen them up. And you have to love this seething elitism. The people are no longer following our commands. That's what she's saying. She's upset that the country is not going along with these ridiculous COVID mitigation steps. And it's not because none of the steps are effective or backed by science and that none of them did absolutely anything to help with the pandemic. It's because the people are inherently bad and disobedient. It's basically the same perspective Liz Cheney has on Wyoming voters for many, many months now. 
U.S. policy on the virus has emphasized the importance of individual responsibility for keeping the virus at bay. Well, no, it hasn't. These latest updates simply reinforce that posture. But given their timing and scope, this, more than any other pandemic inflection point, feels like a wholesale abandonment of a community-centric mindset, says Ariana Marie Planey, a medical geographer at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Surely one of the best experts to consult on this sort of thing. One that firmly codifies the choose-your-own-adventure approach. Reed, meanwhile, described the updates as an attempt to streamline national recommendations so that people could better understand their personal risk, adding that the CDC would emphasize the minimum actions people need to take to protect communities with options to add on. Ashish Jha, the White House's top COVID advisor, did not respond to multiple requests for comment. How strange is that? The White House COVID advisor wouldn't talk to the Atlantic about what minimum steps people need to take to protect their communities. How rude. It is true that, as the CDC epidemiologist Greta Massetti said in a press briefing last week, the current conditions of this pandemic are very different. Well, that's strange, too, because just three weeks ago in California, they were thinking about putting mask mandates back in place. The country has cooked up tests, treatments and vaccines. By some estimates, roughly three quarters of the country harbors at least some immunity to recent variants. How is it only three quarters? I thought we were told three quarters of the country got vaccinated. What about natural immunity? I also thought we were told there were hundreds of millions of cases. Are they going to redefine herd immunity again? But those tools and others remain disproportionately available to the socioeconomically privileged. You get that? Only rich people have immunity to COVID. And surely only white people. That makes sense, doesn't it? Meanwhile, Planey told me, People who are poor, chronically ill, disabled, immunocompromised, uninsured, rationally and ethnically marginalized or working high risk jobs are still struggling to access resources, a disparity exacerbated by the ongoing dearth of emergency covid funds. So there's not enough covid money for the federal government to do whatever they want with. Therefore, poor people and racial minorities and everyone else that we are supposed to have sympathy for, or that at least rich white people who care most about their self-image will have a feigned sympathy for, that's good enough. Those people don't have access to resources because the federal funds have just run out. We need more money. But what resources? The vaccines were being given away to everyone for free. People were being incentivized to take them, particularly people of ethnic minorities and poor people and people who were older, people who had disease, people who were immunocompromised. All of those people were prioritized in the vaccine rollout. So what resources now are they unable to access? Paxlovid is being purchased by the government, given to pharmacies and then given away at pharmacies to people with positive covid tests. They're propping COVID test booths back up now, even though the healthy no longer need to test. Why are they doing that? Maybe they're creating cases 
and recommending people go to their pharmacies to get Paxlovid. And what does Paxlovid do? Well, it causes more COVID. Peace, love, COVID. That's Paxlovid. Know your risks. Protect yourself. The infographics read, even though that me before we concept is fundamentally incompatible with tempering an infectious disease. If wide gaps in health remain between the fortunate and less fortunate, the virus will inevitably exploit them. Ah, that tricky virus always going after the poor people. Not like the lockdowns, of course, which only go after the poor people. The most recent pivots are not likely to spark a wave of behavioral change. Many people already weren't quarantining after exposures, those bastards, or routinely being tested by their schools or workplaces, horrifying, or keeping six feet apart. Well, once they took the spots off the floor, who could tell what six feet really is? You know what I'm saying? But shifting guidance could still portend trouble long term. One of the CDC's main impetuses for change appears to have been nudging its guidance closer to what the public has felt the status quo should be a seemingly backward position to adopt. Yes, that would be a backward position to adopt if your choice was to follow the science, except except for the fact that the public was actually already following the science and the CDC was not. So the CDC is only drawing itself closer to following the science. But once again, notice the seething anger and bitterness that people are not obeying the commands of the elites. Policies are what normalize behaviors, says Daniel Goldberg, a public health ethicist at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Isn't that great? Policies are what normalize behavior. The policy exists to change your behavior. It's not to protect you. It's not to implement the will of the people. It's to change the behavior of the people, the will of the people. If that process begins to operate in reverse, quote, if you always just permit what people are doing to set your policies, guaranteed you're going to preserve the status quo, end quote. The worst possible thing is to permit people to do what they want to do, but also individual liberty. Now, as recommendations repeatedly describe rather than influence behavior, the country is locked into a circular feedback loop we can't seem to get out of, Ganapathy told me. The policies weaken. People lose interest in following them, spurring officials to slacken them even more. That trend in and of itself is perhaps another form of surrender to individualism in following the choices of single citizens rather than leading the way to a reality that's better for us all. Do not ever tell me these people are not communists. They are exactly communists. They have always been communists. I have proven it millions of times probably at this point. But still, oh, we can't call people communists. Don't you see? That person has a Tesla. They like things. Therefore, they're a capitalist. No, commie. You just like things in power. The funny thing is that the poor people, the workers who also want communism, are also focused on acquiring things and accumulating power without working for it. 
Isn't it strange how that works? The poorest who want communism and the wealthiest who want communism all want the same things, wealth and status and power without having to work for them. Isn't it amazing how often communism is the solution to that exact problem? No matter how people are acting at this crossroads, this closing won't work in the way the administration might hope. We can't right now entirely shut the door on the pandemic. Certainly not if the overarching goal is to help Americans, quote, move to a point where COVID-19 no longer severely disrupts our daily lives, end quote, as Massetti noted in a press release. But COVID-19 does not severely disrupt our daily lives. If we are normal people who just go about our daily lives, there is no COVID disruption present anywhere unless you create one through policy. And that is what she's sad about losing. Maybe that would be an option if we were genuinely at a point in this pandemic where cases didn't matter, says Jason Salemi, an epidemiologist at the University of South Florida. Relaxed guidance would be genuinely less disruptive if more people, both in this country and others, were up to date on their vaccines, or if SARS-CoV-2 was far less capable of sparking severe disease and long COVID didn't exist. Well, hey, buddy. Nobody's curing anybody's long COVID at this point. Me getting COVID doesn't affect somebody else's long COVID. So that doesn't matter. Sparking severe disease, the variants out there, if there are variants out there, certainly are not sparking severe disease. That's the vaccine guy. Read of the CDC told me that the agency's emphasis on preventing severe disease will also help prevent cases of post COVID conditions, adding that vaccines are an important tool in preventing and treating post COVID conditions. Even though immunization can't completely block long COVID and seems to relieve its symptoms in only a subset of people. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? The vaccine helps prevent long COVID or it relieves symptoms of long COVID. What? That doesn't even make sense. Guaranteed paid sick leave, universal health care and equitable resource allocation would also reduce the toll of loosening the nation's disaster playbook. So you got that. If we're going to take away the masks and the social distancing and the lockdowns and the quarantines, which didn't do anything for anyone, we're going to need guaranteed paid sick leave, universal health care and equitable resource allocation. Otherwise, everyone's going to die. So fine. If you want to loosen up those little COVID restrictions, well, we're going to have to completely change our society from a top down governmental level. We're going to need just straight up communism everywhere. That's the only solution now that you guys didn't want to wear those masks or take those experimental gene therapies that probably will kill you on a much shorter timeline than you were originally going to die. Layered on to this reality, however, chiller guidelines will only spur further transmission, Planey told me, upending school and workplace schedules, delaying care in medical settings and seeding more long-term disability. Absolutely none of that makes sense. And why is a writer from the Atlantic using chiller as an adjective? She must have seen it in a six-foot-tall man's Tinder profile. 
For much of the pandemic, a contingent of people has been working to advance the narrative that the measures to prevent transmission are the cause of disruption. Stanford Solomon told me vanishing those mitigations then would purport to rid the country of the burdens the past couple of years have brought. But unfettered viral spread can wreak widespread havoc as well. So that crazy contingent of people, those people who understand that the covid mitigations actually were the problem and not any disease that may have been present itself. They're the ones creating the problem. They're creating the conditions for unfettered viral spread that will wreak widespread havoc. Always the fear porn. Always. These people need the pandemic to never end, because if it ends and nothing changes, it will mean they were wrong all along. Just like most of this country can already see. They just can't see it themselves. And they are horrified because they have that sense that it's coming. Right now, the country has been walking down an interminable plateau of coronavirus cases and deaths, the latter stubbornly hovering just under 500, a number that the country has by virtue of its behaviors or lack thereof implicitly decided is just fine. But no, that's actually not true. It just turns out that deaths do happen. And whether or not those normal deaths are accompanied with a positive COVID test is irrelevant to everyone because we know there is no COVID emergency happening. It's much lower than we've been, but it's not a trivial number, Salimi told me. Held at this rate, the U.S.'s annual COVID death toll could be about 150,000, three times the mortality burden of the worst influenza season of the past decade. But certainly not the worst influenza season ever. There's also no reason to think that COVID deaths will continue at this pace once people stop testing healthy people for COVID. That's just kind of how the statistics are going to work. And the country has little guarantee that the current mortality average will even hold. It's going to get so much worse. Immunity provides a buffer against severe disease, but that protection may be impermanent, especially as the virus continues to shape shift, abetted by unchecked international spread. Should the autumn bring with it yet another spike in cases, long COVID, hospitalizations and deaths, the country will need to be flexible and responsive enough to pivot back to more strictness, which the administration is setting Americans up poorly to do. We need masks back. Everybody will know that masks don't do anything if no one's wearing masks and no one gets sick. And then we'll all be exposed as liars and not just liars, maliciously stupid liars. And then the facade of elitism might topple forever. No one's ever going to believe us again. Don't you understand? We must shut these people down. Acceptance of the present might presage acceptance of a future that's worse, not just with SARS-CoV-2, but with any other public health threat. Just think of monkeypox. Months on end of weakening guidelines have entrenched, quote, this idea that mitigation can only be dialed in one direction, which is down, Solomon told me. If and when conditions worsen, the rules may not tighten to accommodate because the public has not been inured to the idea that they should. If it's going to be 600 deaths a day pretty soon, or perhaps far more, Ganapathy told me, I won't be surprised if we find a way to rationalize that too. Ganapathy, as 
was mentioned at the beginning, studies pediatric infectious disease. Kids barely got and didn't die from COVID. They are being extraordinarily harmed by the vaccines, but not from COVID. Still, this is apparently the best expert they could find that is still willing to put their name next to these ridiculous statements. You have to wonder at this point how much these people are getting paid to provide these quotes and attach their reputations to them. Maybe they know their reputation is not going to be worth a whole lot real soon. But look at our elite society right now. Look at our government and the people who represent it. They have everything completely in reverse. They believe that their job is to get the people to do what they want them to do when each and every one of them is in their position to do what the people want them to do. It's completely reversed. And that includes the doctors, by the way. Doctors are supposed to go into their profession wanting to help people, wanting to heal people, not wanting to convince people to take drugs and obey them. But all of this is reversed in the false reality, and people don't want to leave it. And no one wants to leave it less than Liz Cheney, who thinks that someday she's going to be president of the false reality. There is no chance of that happening. Reality is back, and we're just going to continue down that road. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!